Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is the episode that we've been looking down the barrel at for we've almost a year. We've been staring into the rat hole of this episode for a long time, Mario. We have been warlocking it up. <laughs> yeah, we're changing gears, folks. This is, this is the warlock episode. Yeah. There's like three warlock films. We could do warlock and wishmaster. We could do that. Maybe we'll put it on the list. For uh, possible bonus episodes. W later. horror series is... I'm in. Um, there would also be Waxwork. There's two of those. Oh, good. And Waxwork is good. I actually enjoy Waxwork. W horror series. Yeah. pretty good. It's a new podcast for when this is done. <laughs> Pivotal W <laughs> horror, horror movies. Films. Maybe there's way more than we think. But, but no, today's our... our it's a children, different kind of horror yeah, film. Children dealing with war episode. Uh, we'll be discussing the 1985 and recently remastered Come and See, which I think was getting some theatrical releases around this time. It got a cri- new Criterion edition. Yeah, it's been on the Criterion channel for a while. But they did like the new But release. they did the new release, the double disc release um, 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 thing. And yes, I think it was released in theaters. I remember listening to podcasts. So I remember when they were doing, when the big picture was doing a Criterion channel deep dive and... and uh, Sean Fennessy was calling people, and um, uh, what's his name? Why can't I think of his name? He did listen up, Philip, and he did Xander of- Berkeley, <laughs> and he did. Uh, oh, Alex Ross Perry was talking about how he had just seen Come and See in theaters, and apparently, um, the director of Come and See's wife is also a director, and yeah, she, she also made a World War II movie that is yeah, also apparently very hard to watch. It influenced apparently Come and See oh, quite okay. a bit. Um, but yeah, so we're doing that, and we're doing. The controversial, I guess, but wildly lauded um, Painted Bird, which we have thoughts on both of those things. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. We'll get there, Mario. Yeah. But the Golden Age is dead, Tom. Maybe the Havlin's dead. Still Harold Lloyd's kicking around somewhere, but... Is she's not... Is she the last... She's not, like, the last of, like, the movie stars, is she? Not the last of the serious movie stars of the hmm. Golden Age. Um, besides Harold Lloyd. Yeah. Harold Lloyd is still still kicking out there. He's still just rolling Do you have around. a favorite Olivia de Havilland movie? No. No, I don't. She I made a she made a not. I was not thinking of Harold Lloyd. Harold Lloyd's long dead. Who am I thinking of? Oh, I forgot. But um no, I don't have an Olivia de Havilland love. Um I was huge into uh the other sister we'll talk about we'll talk about in another episode to come oh okay but I had a huge I had a crush on, on oh, John oh on the other yeah right it took me a second to, to process that yeah um yeah there's a lot of you know 104 she had a good she had a good run yeah good for her good for her good she was sad when she lost the best supporting actress Oscar but then she realized she was happy what for what for Gone with the Wind oh she was sad at first I wonder how she felt about it being pulled off of HBO Max. She probably didn't care. I mean, she probably she probably cared about the royalties. Maybe if she was still getting some, no, she wouldn't be getting royalties for that. Like there was the entire lawsuit because of that. No, yeah, I mean, I think it was um, maybe, but they wouldn't have been like significant royalties. They would only be royalties when the license changed hands, yeah, or the copyright changed hands, and that wasn't happening like all the time. I'm assuming so. She got twenty cents. Probably it's more than we got. It's true. It's more than we got, Mario. Anything else we want to tackle? Before we dig in? No. Before we stare into the 
burning maw of the barn no. in Belarus? No, we don't. Okay. Right. Good. You want to introduce both of you, you introduce both of these movies. <laughs> okay. Let's do it this week. Uh, Not an introduce. The first one we're going to start with. Um, we kind of talked, I guess, and I'll, I'll, I don't know if there's a, a better or worse way to start this, but we're going to start with uh, "Come and See" this week. That was also good, and I think works. Yeah, somehow it works. Somehow the laser beam sounds, and the laser beams really work. I mean, it's very likely, you know, um, Kilimov designed real lasers to shoot at people. It's quite possible, <laughs> <laughs> considering he did that. He did that with other weaponry. Yeah. Um, uh, Fleora is a. Uh, Teenager, young teenager, he's like 14 years old, I believe. He's living in Belarus uh, in 1943, and he's with his friend on the beach, and they're digging up uh, soldiers' gear. He's digging up for guns and helmets and bullets, and, and lo and behold, he finds a gun, and then right as he finds the gun, he notices a German spy plane overhead. An FW-189. I love the spy plane um, uh, placement. I thought, I thought it was like perfectly done. Uh, and we can talk about that a little bit when we compare them to, um, in terms of like good directing versus bad directing and things, objects containing meaning and, and things like that. CGI birds attacking. Yeah. Oh, no, I thought it was, there was that one part where he was like early in the movie where, ah, we're not going to, we're not going to get there. We'll get, we'll get there, but we're not going to, we're not going to digress so soon. Yes. Um, he goes back to his village and he tells his mother that he wants to enlist with the partisans uh, who will be fighting uh, from his from Belarusian army that will be fighting against uh, the the Nazis' uh, imminent encroachment. Um, he gets kind of taken away. He gets you know uh, enlisted to to fight by by a couple of uh, soldiers. He gets taken away on a cart. Um, there's one of the great shots in movies, I think, um, when they take that that picture of the army. Uh, with the cow and him laying down. It's just fucking amazing. It is fucking amazing. Um, he is, gets enlisted to stay behind at the camp uh, because um, some other guy needs his shoes. Some older older member of the army needs his shoes. So he stays around. He's has a conversation with Glasha, um, which is weird, and I don't necessarily think I understand it, but fine. There's Bums. a lot of this film that's serialistic. Right. And um, that's... But it's Deep weird. Magical realism. But the conversation aspect of like the un, the the surrealism, I thought was like an odd choice. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of surrealistic conversations. 
bombs drop on the whole area, and that kind of starts uh, Fleora and Glasha on a journey to to find somebody. So they go back to Glasha's village. Everybody's dead. Um, he meets up with a, another group of rebels as after a trip through a bog. Um, everybody dies. Um, there he ends up in a a village, a Belarusian village, where the Germans have have just gotten there and they are tearing the village apart. Um, in one of the the truly um, awe inspiring but horrific climaxes in film, um, a, a church full of uh, Belarusian villagers is is burned to the ground um, as he watches. Um, there is a a happy ending, I suppose, in that some of those people, some of those Germans uh, get what's coming to them, that Belarusian army overtakes them on the road, and, and they end up under this bridge, and they're, you know, pleading their case for, for to be saved, and then eventually the Belarusians take it upon themselves to not save them. Uh, and then they march they off them. to fight another day. Um, it, you know, quick review, I suppose we'll do quick reviews of Come and See. It was one of these things where I watched, I talked a little bit about this, how I watched, like, pieces of it, um, when we were doing, because we were going to talk about this movie, I feel like a couple months ago, we were going to do it. When we did that episode on House, um, we were going to do Come and See too because we were just kind of like, oh yeah, Come and See. I haven't seen that. You know, I've heard things about it, and so I tried to watch the hard parts. You know, the like the the the, the you know when people write about this, the like the visceral. harrowing parts, yeah, like the really the violent stuff. But it was weird because when I was watching it, I was like, I couldn't find him. There's the end scene clearly, and when I was watching it at the time, I was like, "Well, that's that sucks," but it wasn't like it didn't hit me. And then I couldn't find the other parts, and I think it's because the the magic of this movie is that it is so elegantly structured, where it kind of it it starts it starts off low and goes really high, and then it kind of does like a like a coronavirus American coronavirus plateau, where it kind of comes down, 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 down. And then it just kind of spikes like all the way up, and it's a it, it's a tremendous um, example of 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 build up and structure, and it so you have to watch the whole thing for that climax to really have the impact that it's supposed to. Like you can't skip through this and watch the bloody parts because there aren't a lot of bloody parts. You know what I mean? Um, and it was a, it was uh, an overwhelming film experience and I think in a, in, in a lot of ways I think worked a little better for me I don't know how you feel about this worked a little better for me in kind of depicting the the true horror some of the true horror I guess we can never know the true horror of 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 that part of World War Two than like I don't know like than Schindler's List does because Schindler's List is so mannered and controlled and this is so like viscerally felt, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like you, there's no at no point does he step back and kind of observe what's happening. Like even when it's he's observing, you know, when the Germans are running roughshod over that village, you like feel everything. Like the camera's always moving. You never feel comfortable. You never, um, you can't ever settle back and just kind of let the emotions watch over you because you're never really a hundred percent sure what the emotions are supposed to be. Um, and I thought it was kind of amazing. I think it's kind of an amazing. Film. It's like a minor masterpiece, I think, only because I it's just his last film too. I, I would, Lamov, who would die in two thousand three, wouldn't direct another film after this, which makes a lot of sense. And we can talk about that too when we talk about its star. Um, oh, I'm not going to butcher this, Alexei Kravchenko. Yeah, um, um, I would. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, in 
much the same way. Steven Spielberg um, was noted to have his cast and crew watch this before both the production of Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. Mm. And you, you see the signature of, I would guess, major significant war films. Mm-hmm. Um, after this is produced, I think the, the painting of um, the girl in red from Schindler's List definitely has some of its... Um, has the fingerprint of come and see mm. there. It was something like just the detachment of the presentation. Um, but, but the, the approach of, of the fluidity of the camera is, is profoundly just stunning. Um, I would, I would, you know, stand on, on the shoulder of calling this like one of the great anti-war war sure, films sure, sure. ever made. Um, just because it does have such a succinct pace to it for a film that is nearly two and a half hours long. It never, necessarily feels like anything's waiting away maybe that conversation initially with Lasha is a little off but i think it's a nice introduction to what will be completely off for you know the remainder of the film um well, and, I think and the main performances by Glasha and flory are just just astoundingly some of the best like i assume she was a she was a teenager when she did this i know he was like 15 i assume mm-hmm. um olga mirnova was probably also around the same age i don't know um, I she would up, never but... act after this she would become like a director of a dance school hmm. um good for her both of them are just stunning and just the the look after they go through the bog of when she just tells them what she sees and just her entire reaction of looking back at the bodies of entire village and then eventually sharing that with him and just their faces as they scream leading into (laughs) the villagers who have escaped both screaming and laughing at him Mm -hmm. um in that kind of surrealistic moment uh just is is so absolutely declarative of the the visceral emotion and it's a hard movie to watch not because of what you see because i think films like schindler's list are you know um Really, only Schindler's List has have much more. Our same Private Ryan has much more of a significant impact in the depiction of war, um, in terms of the visual. But this just is an emotionally striking, uncomfortable experience. Yeah, and it's draining. And um, he's so good at um, kicking you right in the face with something when you really don't want to be kicked in the face. So there's you know the great early scene with Fleora and and Glasha when they're in the woods and they're, you know, they're they're crying, laughing, and, you know, he gets water in his boots and they're saying a bunch of nonsense things to each other and then they see the the plane and the bombs drop, but that is counterbalanced by the presence of that girl who was raped um, in the truck and she's just down the, she's walking down the road and she's just totally ruined and she's blowing on a pitch pipe and the same shots kind of come back and they're they're just different um and it is it creates a gravity to the film which um i think a lot of films and particularly the one we're going to we're going to talk about in this episode too or the other film we're going to talk about in this episode just can't achieve because i think they're scared to do it so one of the things i, I read about like the painted bird and i read a lot of reviews about the painted bird was that you know he was he was, he was showing things that other filmmakers would be afraid to show. And I was like, he's doing the opposite of that. Because Klimov in this shows things that other filmmakers would be afraid to show. Like the complete and total ruination, physically and psychically um, and emotionally, of a human um, is what this movie tells. And what this movie shows. And that, I think, is much... 
more difficult to do and have it work than whatever's happening in, in The Painted Bird or even, you know, and I don't want to like shit on Schindler's List. Schindler's List is a great movie. It's a classic. It's all the things that Schindler's List is. But it kind of plays like a it plays like a movie. You know what I mean? And well, Schindler's back, List is more appealing to a wire. Come and see doesn't give a shit who sees um, it. Exactly. Um, Schindler's List is definitely playing to a, to a general audience. Right, it's, and it's, it's context. A, it's a hard film from that context. Well, so that's the whole thing is that the context of them. It's one of the things I always struggle about with World War II movies is that the context is inherently terrible. You know what I mean? So you don't need to do a lot to make the viewer uncomfortable or to make the viewer kind of feel like um, oddly complicit in something. You know what I mean? We all know the history, but we don't actually know what's going on. We haven't, you know, you mentioned Night and Fog in the text, and I rewatched Night and Fog. But I, I think that's also a film that depicts oh, that horror well. I mean, But I mean, it's 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 the horror. I yeah. mean, it's that's what it is. But it's also... Do, does other stuff and holding up a mirror of like because it even like mentions kind of the, the the Holocaust denial aspect of it and goes like nope yep well the holding a mirror I think is perfect because that's what movies like Come and See are doing which is um, not trading on the horror for um, story for story beats and it's like one of the things that I you know the Ray Fiennes villain in um, uh, Schindler's List is considered like very stereotypical and oddly comical like in his in his just traditional evilness he's just like an evil guy i think one of the things about golf but like yeah but i think you see a lot of the history of it and it's like not really that cartoonish it's not cartoonish but it comes off as because the movie is so steady and cinematic he comes off as like a movie villain you know what i mean because it's a it's a it's a traditional movie there's nothing traditional about Come and See. So the villains in Come and See, and there are a bunch of them, and they are all crowded around that, that church, and they are shooting flamethrowers and stuff. Their uh, glee at what's happening here is also kind of like modeled by this really intense like disgust they all seem to have for each other. Mm. Um which you can kind of see because I show so many things. No one, everyone seems comfortable in their job, but nobody seems comfortable in their humanity. And I think that's, I think that's one of the things that Klimov is saying too. Is that not that any of these people get a pass, not at all, but that the emotions of this are way more complex than a movie can really show you. And which, which is a success too of this film, is um, I mean, obviously, its portrayal of, of the Nazis has has clearly like the gleeful villains and. But still, like trying to portray some sort of weird, very slight humanity and like disgust with others, but also it's it's unrelenting in its dissection of the Russian and regulars mm. itself. And, like they are equally not equally, but they are also painted as people who are not necessarily as monstrous as the Nazis, um, but they are not good people. There is not that clear delineation of good versus bad. Um, even going so far as, you know, the villagers and his mother. Like, everyone's moving from some sort of selfish intent mm, in this film. Interesting. Which I find interesting. Everyone is deeply flawed. I wouldn't necessarily paint them as, as quote-unquote villains or bad guys. Right. Um, but they are none of them, like you see mostly in mainstream um, World War II movies, none of them have uh, the real heroic quality. They're either struggling to survive and in doing so will step upon the face of another, or they are radical in their fanaticism for national pride and are willing to step on the back of their brother in order to see that. 
Well, in the, in the Kosach character, I thought was really interesting, aside from the fact that um, Tarkovsky is an obvious influence here, and that guy looks one, exactly like Solonitsyn. One quick aside. When yeah. he asks anybody if they're injured and want to stay back, yeah. did you think in that scene somebody's going to get bored and he was going to shoot them? Yes. Yeah, I did too. I was like, he is going to kill one of those people. Yep. And But I think to that end, the ending is really telling also, because he doesn't... He waits. He doesn't do anything. He could have given the command to execute those Germans whenever he wanted, but he didn't for some reason. And I think it's one of these things where, like, people, they were, like, holding him up so high, and for some reason, Fleora um, maybe saw through it a little bit, or he wasn't, like, I don't know. He let the he let the, the, the troops, he let the, 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 the common troops kind of do all this, make these decisions for him. You know mm. what I mean? Kind of step forward and be the hero. Now, can you argue that there is like a psychological component to that where he's kind of letting these people take responsibility for their own lives and he's empowering them? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure that, that that necessarily is in the movie, although it did occur to me. But I did think it, it was kind of fascinating that he doesn't really seem to make a lot of decisions. He's just kind of there because he looks... It almost seems like he's there because he looks the part, but he's not brave enough to step up and go through, um, to go f- to go through with anything. Um, and, and and maybe that's not true, but that's just kind of how how I read that, and that kind of links to your to your comment about like the um, some of the complexities of some of, of the Belarusians, and then yeah, I mean, I and, and you know, I think I would say this is one of the. Uh, Really, when you look at this, though, you see, I, I think I see how little World War II films ever successfully portray the emotion of it. Yeah. In very complex ways. Um, you know, I, I'd struggle to kind of think of other World War II films that really hit that level of, of deep, emotional, ethereal complexity. Um, like Schindler's List definitely hits you in a visceral gut, but it hits you in a, such a way that has a definite artificial quality to it. Mm-hmm. In the fact that the story is com- written in such a way to compel you to feeling that way, it's effective, but it is artificial story. There's, there's, there. While this film has, you know, aspects like or just huge aspects of film on it. Um, in order to tell that story, it, it feels more natural. It feels more honest in that way. Mm. And and I, I was much as struggling to think of other war movies that have similar. Son of Saul is, is close. yeah. Son of Saul um, gets mentioned. But Son of Saul, like once again, Son of Saul just feels like it, it rips kind of the DNA of this film. Yeah. and kind of paints that in a similar well, way. Um, like the the Russian Stalingrad film from a few years ago is kind of similar. But mm. if you look at some of these World War Two movies. Most notably, fucking Axel Ridge. Um, <laughs> and you just realize how little they kind of capture kind of that emotion of the foreign front, I should say. Yeah, well, the thing that kind of... The, the thing that occurred to me when I was watching this, the two movies that were Vietnam movies, and they were, um, I think, Apocalypse Now, obviously. And we were soldiers. Yeah, we were soldiers. Um, no, and the... Kill- Wind talkers. And the ki- <laughs> well, that's a World War II movie. Um, the Killing Field was like another one too, where I was—I I thought they really steered into the visceral nature of what it's like to kind of be there, yeah. Instead of trying to like tell a really complicated story, so they had, and I think both Grave of, of the Fireflies is, is Grave of the Fireflies is another one too. It's 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 different. Like, I guess it's, but I think it's, it's I think emotion is more much more localized. Yeah, 
But I think in all of those, they all use... This one tells a really simple story. Um, and so they don't have to use a lot of... They're not have, they don't have to do a lot. You know what I mean? So you, he allows for these kind of uh, these visceral moments to really to really hang there on the screen. So we were we were texting about the cow scene earlier. You know what I mean? Mm. Like there's no there's no cow scene in the movie we're going to talk about after this. And there's no cow scene in the Painted Bird. There no, wants to be. There's a, terribly done. There's no cow scene in a lot of in a lot of war movies. You know what I mean? Where it's just it's fog. It is desolation. This kid essentially seems like he spent the night being shot at. Um, I don't really want to know about the cow. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm actually gonna assume they killed the cow. Um, yeah. Just like, like I'm just gonna the assume they killed the horse later. Um, stuff he's stuff he did to those actors was well, that. the cow scene. Let's talk about it. the cow scene. He literally shot actual guns over his head, and he yeah. and um and Alexei. Uh, I can't remember her name. Kravchenko has talked about how he could feel them passing over, like the bullets passing just inches over his head when he dove for cover. Um, and I, I'm not. It's like when they, it's like when uh, you know, they killed a real person during the filming of Jarhead. Sam Mendes murdered a person during training. I, you know, would wait. He did. Wait, didn't someone die during that? I don't think. So. I mean, I feel like someone did die during the training thing for Jarhead. I mean, a character dies. I don't think somebody died on the set of Jarhead. No, maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of that character now, and I'm thinking he's a real person. <laughs> yeah. When, he picks, it's, his, when it's, he picks his head up? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, 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 no. Okay, nobody, so nobody, I'm but, just... But that scene, that's actually a really that's a great... That's scene, that's, yeah. That's like the best scene in that film. I wish that film ended at training. Because mm. that film sucks once it gets to the war. Well, it's funny to think about Jarhead now in the context of 1917. You can see 1917 stuff all over Jarhead. Yeah, we should have all seen 1917 coming, but we don't have to think about 1917 anymore. So, um, there's no cow scene because they've no movie has felt no war movie has felt it necessary to sit with a cow and have the cow have meaning. Thomas Vinterberg should do a war movie. He would do it. <laughs> Thomas Vinterberg. He did like the hunt far from the maddening crowd. He's like part of that dogma of 95. Oh, okay. People. Cool. He'd do it. Yeah. Let's, let's... Thomas Vinterberg, we know you're listening. Make a war movie. <laughs> he's the guy He's the guy in San Francisco. Um, or the person in San Francisco. Yeah, no, no, I agree. No, but nothing's going to sit there and, and sit with that sort of See, emotion. that because that's not one cow is not war and i'm yeah. doing lots of air quotes guys one cow is not war and one cow without some kind of weird malevolence attached to it is not is not a is not a war movie but in this movie it's totally a war movie yeah, every, it's it's, a, it's totally a thing everything has a degree of violence to it everything has a degree of come Complex, not complexity. Yeah, Everything like has a degree of. I don't know the right word for it. violence. Is the right no? Word I think violence it. is the right word because, um, like even like the bog scene, like they're just crawling through a bog, but they're so like traumatized yeah. by the fuck you never ending story. This is how you do a bog scene. <laughs> that horse had it coming. Artex. Is that his name? Yeah. Artex. Yeah. Artex. I gotta show my kids that movie. Um, I think they'd make them too sad, though. We were much sadder in, like, the 80s and the early 90s than kids are now. That's why Anxious Millennial Cowboy is a, a theme of all of us. Kids are going to... Kids are gonna, kids now watch Never Ending Story, like, oh, 
The nothing? What is this? Well, it's like. It's not going to be a yeah. rock troll? There's no rock troll that's going to tr- come and turn the, the, you know, the princess into a. Is this in, are we talking about Trolls World Tour? We're again? talking about Trolls World Tour, yeah. Um, but I, I texted you and I was like, there's, there's, no, there's no cow scene. There's no, you know, the girl walking down the street with the pitch pipe scene. After, so after the whole village has been burned in this thing, and it's just, it's fucking awful. But there's a scene where they're like looking at Germans. There's a scene right after that where the, the sun is going down and they're looking at Germans just kind of packing things up. And they, you know, they showed one German like spraying a house with, um, with you know, his flamethrower. And then he kind of walks away and everyone's laughing. And just off camera, something happens and just fire, like liquid fire looks like it just kind of like splatters all over the road. And it's one of those things where I think they would have... It, I'm assuming it was an accident, but because it has no necessary... Because in a war movie, I think they're trying it's to... On the, one of the unseen through it, through the fire. Yeah. <laughs> sure. We should, now we can tag Charlie Kaufman on our episode. Get, get another couple we, hundred yeah. listens. Um, <laughs> but I think, another, I think another war movie, because of pacing issues, would have cut a lot of that stuff out. Would have cut a lot of that like extraneous feeling stuff out. So when you're watching, you're just like, "What is that?" And it just adds to this kind of really potent sense that you're watching something unreal, but not unreal in a fantastic way. Like unreal in a this is unimaginable, and now I feel this way because I just witnessed something I'm I I can't see. Yeah, and it's and it's it's surprising and it's shocking in a lot of ways because it has such fantastical elements to it. But then you compare this to Painted Bird, which tries to hear a little closer to what could possibly be reality. Or, you know, another shitty kid in a war movie, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot you about that. Compare those. Movie. Yeah, because it should be. It's like, oh, look at our movie. We're leading up to a stupid fucking ending. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Remember Me of World War II endings. Oh, no. You said it. <laughs> We've become the most controversial podcast in movie podcasts now. Um. You know, you compare those two, and those two films try to hear closer to what could be something close to realistically happening. How, you know, ever, you know, much that could be Thousand Little Pieces style. Um, mm. Million Little Pieces, whatever the fuck that book is called. Um, and, but this movie just, just hits those emotional beats with, with authenticity because of the way it's constructed and the way it does everything with such um, real appeal and real authenticity well so commitment to to it yeah and so it's i'll and i'll use that to kind of go into my next point i think one of the strengths of this movie which painted bird doesn't do for no reason painted birds are very movie of the year right i was we were both hoping some somehow we both had such high hopes um when i was just picking my spots in this movie the movie the soundtrack seemed very 80s and very dated, lots of synths. Um, and now I kind of love it. Yeah. I think it's. I think it totally fucking works. I think it eats the scenes when it has to eat them, and carries. When the emotions get ambiguous, when the when the when the pain becomes like so painful, you can al- you almost kind of have to laugh. When the when it rises to a hysterical pitch, the like the score goes with it, and really. Um, imbues this movie with a kind of psychological menace like you can almost feel the movie like tearing itself apart through the score 
And the anachronisms of both the score and, I guess it wouldn't be the anachronisms, but the misplacement of, like, tropical birds all throughout. Mm. The, like, the, the things that don't make sense there. Like, the tropical pelican being in Belarus. You know, those huge close love. to... Yeah. Oh, that shot of the of it in just, like, looking around. Yeah. Whew. A lot of birds in this movie. Yeah. Um, but that hues it away from being a World War II movie and just a people movie. Just, yeah. like, the raw insignificance and glee that people have in in power and that's all this movie is about this movie is just just a story of of power and delaying elections and um whatever else it could be you know (laughs) you stuck that in there um no i think that's really i think that's really really right and i think um i think i remember the roger ebert review he gave it three and a half stars which i find odd I feel like he could. I, th- I think he added this great movies. List. It's on his great yeah. movies list, and I, but I think he added it there, kind of like, he like upgrade it later. Because a lot of people like came to this move came around. But he was so was, he gave it three and a half stars, and one of the things he said he found on oh, his initial like nineteen yeah. five review. And one of the yeah. things he said he found curious about it was the ending and the use of the Mozart at the ending. But your your mention of the word power, I think, is 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 right. I think that the the Belarusians feel feel power by the end of that movie. You know what I mean? Mm. They've lost that village. And you know they they put the credit or you know before the credits they tell you that like 628 Belarusian villages were burned with all their inhabitants, um, which is unbelievable. And like watching Night and Fog just kind of puts all that stuff into perspective. And I feel like Night and Fog is one of those movies. Which of the three? Easily the hardest of the three. <laughs> well, That's the movie I don't suggest people. I mean they should, they have to watch. Well, I I almost <clears throat> Ice Cube. Yeah, it's Ice Cube, folks. Don't worry. We're fine. Um, I almost I was I was watching it, um, and you know we're gonna. <coughs> I was watching it, and with um, my kids were doing other stuff, and we're gonna. I would, I would hope so. We're gonna keep my kids home from from school. We're gonna homeschool them this year. Um, that we, sounds like a wise move. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I was thinking was like I feel like I should. But sh- we should delay the election. I mean, we can go to school, but adults can't go to school. And adults can't vote. I don't understand why we would delay the election when coronavirus isn't real. No, I don't. So within like a couple of tweets, there's no such thing as coronavirus, but we should definitely delay the election while we just kind of sort out, I guess, the economy. Listen, Turning Point USA needs to readjust their leadership now, so we need time for them to get that figured out. Um, I felt like I could show this to my... I felt like I wanted to show Night and Fog to my kids. Really? Yeah. And be like, because this is real... You know what I mean? It's not dramatized, so there's no there's no forced um, there's no forced feeling attached to it. It's just yeah, here are some facts of the hair. Yeah. Um, every single time I watch it, and now like with the House of Jack Belt thing with the, with uh, Goethe's tree thing, like how they built this they built this concentration camp. I think it was Belson, I think, or Auschwitz, one of those ones, around this tree, and they left the tree intact. But like the juxtaposition of like saving this this tree and just Wholesale fucking murder. murdering everybody else, yeah. either slowly or quickly, it's just it's fucking unbelievable. And I think that come and see captures the unbelievability of that. And again, I'll say it again because everything's weird now. And even though very few people listen to this, I don't want to come across as like saying like I know now. I'm not going to appropriate the Holocaust for my own ends. I don't know, but come and see is the closest I've ever felt to feeling the kind of um, 
really complex, heavy terror of 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 that. Yeah, because it's a purely expertly made visceral experience. It was the last film that had that feeling for me in war movies, and that just shows you how much of a night and day difference it is. What? Enemy at the Gates. I don't think I ever saw Enemy at the Gates. The opening of Enemy at the Gates actually successfully portrays like the horror of war somehow. I don't know how it did it. It's funny. I'm not really... it's not a great movie. Are you a war movie guy? Because I'm not really a war movie Uh, guy, per se. Like, I don't seek them out. No, I don't seek them out either. Um, Fake war stuff I like. Like, I love Edge of Tomorrow because it's not a real war, but anything like glamorizing actual war, I don't like. So I love fake war. Like, fake war battles. Like, mm. battles that never took place. Like Starship yeah. Troopers? Like, yeah, Starship Troopers are Star... No, I like those battle scenes. Sure, or sure, Star sure. Wars. No, but Star- I mean, like... Oh, but- even, like, the Star Wars battle scenes. I enjoy those. But, like, actual war movies themselves... I mean, I have, you know, same Private Ryan high on my list, but then, you know, we'll talk... in two weeks about a kind of war movie yeah um but even then that's like another kind of slightly fake war it's well kind of and especially idealized. especially when you watch it now yeah um but no like i don't run out to see like i i begrudgingly saw hacksaw ridge yeah. and i mean i wish i could go back in time and slap myself i actually have used Fuck hacksaw ridge i've actually have used Hacks- before? yeah we have I've okay, actually good. used hacksaw ridge a bunch this week um in my mfa thing as an example of something um, a positive example of something. So, do whatever you want with that. Um, about how every time you're feeling down, you realize about your creative process. You're like, at least I didn't make that. No, there was a kid. There was a, a guy who was writing about war uh, a story, and he uh, had a he had a character who was um, had to have a belief. He had a belief system in place, like very early on in the in the in the novel, and we kind of we didn't get any of that. And I was like, you have to I was like think about Hacksaw Ridge. A little bit like it's an easy place to go to look for that stuff where like he spends the first half of the movie like installing his belief system so we understand it implicitly when he goes up onto the rocks for an hour and just kind of starts hauling bodies off we we don't have to have he doesn't have to have 50 conversations with people about like how much he loves jesus um he just needs drunk because hugo, he just spent an hour just doing drunk it. hugo weaving yeah we all need drunk hugo weaving but what kind of where it's going is i was thinking about war movies because of that's hugo movie. weaving right yeah okay yeah we were. Um, I was thinking about war movies when we were because we were doing this. And my first war movie experience, I think, was the uh, was Glory, Braveheart for me. Yeah, see, I didn't see Braveheart until until a little bit later. But yeah, Glory and um, what's the other one of those? Oh no, Gettysburg was my first. Gettysburg, Glory and Gettysburg were my yeah. first two war movies, and I was like. Those movies are only kind of about war. They're mostly about talking and flanking people. I like Gettysburg. I like them too. Yeah. But all they do is talk about flanks. And like cutting off people at the flank. The glory and, flank and does capturing not work. ridges. The glory flank. It doesn't is, do it. It's pretty bad at it. Well, I mean, just because they don't die. It's Tom Berenger's best film, says Major League. Glory? Or, you know, Gettysburg. Oh, yeah. I was talking about glory. It doesn't General work because they all. Carrie Always. Top five movie. Yeah. Good Carrie Always. Liar, 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 still number one. Yeah, Liar Liar is good. Um, let's try to find a way to tie Liar Liar to our next movie, Mario. Well, Jerry Kaczynski was a liar liar. <laughs> Why is that book so thick? <laughs> look how look at these pages. Uh, that's how like, I think that's nothing, what mine was like. Nothing in this. Why is it so many so th- There's a huge like twenty page introduction. Oh, okay. It's only two hundred and thirty two pages. I don't think mine was two hundred and thirty four pages. But mine had an old man bird with a penis on it, so... 
Mine has a boy beating up. I a... think this is Jersey Kaczynski. Really? I'm pretty sure it is Jersey Kaczynski. <laughs> which goes along with all the lies about this book. That Yeah, so our next film is uh, The Painted Bird, based on the fantastically god-awful Jersey Kaczynski book. Jesus um, should we discuss the book really quickly? Uh, people love this book and they adore it. Uh, it was based upon, they believed, a semi-autobiographical tale um, of a boy just kind of going through terrible experiences, running through Poland, um, or part, some part of Eastern Europe. It's supposed to be Poland. Poland, yeah. Um, and everyone was like, oh, Jersey Kaczynski had a really hard time. Turned out Jersey Kaczynski did not have a really hard time, and he got pretty harsh distressed for it for years afterwards and eventually killed himself. Well, the weird thing about it, too, is that he might not even have even written it. There's, like, a whole bunch of authorship things with it, too, because... every King Killer chronicled it? Well, everyone says well, he that... he just hasn't written a book in six he, years. You know, he wrote only in English, Jersey yeah. Kaczynski. Everyone says that he... At the time he wrote this book, he wouldn't have known enough English to even write this book. Huh. And so there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of theories about like who actually wrote the book, and you know, most people kind of agree that he didn't do it. William S. Burroughs probably wrote this book. Yeah, no, William S. Burroughs isn't so like trite and, yeah. and writes in William S. Burroughs strict chronology. William S. Burroughs would write that sort of book to fuck with somebody else. But let's talk about so we but can the, talk about the so book while book we is, talk about the movie. Really, but, yeah, it's just it's, yeah, Rubel. Um a young boy, um, Jaska is sent off to live with his aunt. She dies washing her feet. And Jaska just kind of walks around the land, going through a series of misadventures, like Lemony Snicket. Yeah, um, it's exactly like Lemony Snicket. Very similar. Lemony Snicket's better. He actually probably would have done a better job of the script. But continue. Who directed the Lemony Snicket movie? I can't remember. I don't know. I'll look it up while you're talking. Rinchard League later. Happy birthday. <laughs> it's his birthday today. Yeah. Um, he goes through you know experiences with a... With a miller who's nice to him, but then the miller, you know, takes out some eyeballs and he's like, well, I gotta get the fuck out of here. And he runs into a guy with some birds. That guy likes to drink vodka and have sex with a wild lady. Then she gets raped and murdered. And so he hangs himself. Uh, Then the boy finds a horse. And this is supposed to be an emotionally impactful scene. It somewhat works in the book. Um, It does not at all work here. And he gets taken in by a villager. And the villager just kind of delivers him to Germans. Um... Book the villager dies, right? The uh, villager gets beaten. You don't know if he's going to die. They change that. The one before he gets taken to the Germans? Yeah, because the yes. villagers beat him and the regulars take the yes, boy and to he, the Jets. Yeah. Um, yeah the, the, the German soldier sent to execute him, Stellan Sarsgaard, which is the best scene of this film, I think. The, the no dialogue 
Stellan Sarsgaard. Just because it's a Stellan Yeah, I have a different best scene, but I, I also like... There's two... That yeah. was my second favorite scene. Um, you know, he lets him go. Uh, he gets, you know, kidnapped again by SS soldiers and then saved because he washes shoes. Harvey Keitel takes him in. I, Harvey Keitel dubbed in this movie? Very dubbed. Except okay. I think maybe one scene. <laughs> the rest of it... Dubbed. Well, like, that's a not, hard dub. <laughs> the Harvey Keitel. And then the warlock, uh, you know, adopts him. And the warlock is, is horribly abusive, sexually and otherwise. Also, not in the book, but continue. Yep. <laughs> continue. Um, and so he uh, kills him by killing him the way he killed somebody else in, in the, the book. book yep. Um, <sighs> who's he killed in the book that way? It's the... It's the, carp- the carpenter? Yeah. The carpenter beats him. I think so. Not the guy that has that rapes the, the Jewish. He was only there for. He runs away from that, right? Yeah. When he gets like, and then he. It's a weird fucking. I hate that scene. That, that's when I like, tuned out and just sped through the book after that. I was like, "Fuck you, just Kaczynski!" Like once that happens, I'm like, "You fucking piece of shit." It's one of the ones. I, it is like the other stuff. Like it's the other not rape him. Stuff, it's somebody else. Yeah. But the other rape stuff in that in that book is like fine by me. But that is like you are fucking like glorizing this stuff now. Yeah, I mean we're. Um, you know, he kills he kills Julian Sands um, before Julian Sands can read the name of God backwards. So, thank us, thank that. Um, <laughs> the new priest doesn't want him, so he gets run off. He runs into a woman who, as you know, her husband dies, and she just wants to fuck everything. He's a six year old boy; he can't fuck her. Uh, credit in that one part to to Marlowe that he shoots it from the boy's point of view, so you don't actually have to have you know young Peter Coltlar pantomiming having sex with a, an adult woman so credit there for some good work yeah discretion like some taste um but she f- fucks quote unquote because she doesn't actually fuck a goat because you can clearly see she's not fucking a goat because yeah. he would have shot it from a different perspective if he wanted you to think she was actually fucking a goat but she's just trying to fuck mentally with, fuck with the, the kid head, yeah. every reviewer that talks about fucking with a goat is a fucking moron that's not what she's doing we learn will, how to watch fucking movies we will talk idiots. about that we will talk about that he throws the goat's head because he kills it he runs off blah 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 he gets inscripted by Barry Pepper before when Barry Pepper got rid of uh, Captain Miller because he survived that explosion uh, Barry Pepper has not learned has learned one sentence of of Russian, which he speaks at you know at one point, he's like eye for an eye, I, right? Is that how I say this in Russian? Yeah, tooth for tooth. Is this right? Is all? Am I getting all this? Tooth for tooth. <laughs> no, Barry Pepper, just saying it in Russian. No, accent. it's not a Russian accent. It's Inter-Slavic <laughs> accent. Uh, and you know, he eventually gets taken in by an orphanage. He kills a shopkeeper who's anti-Semitic. Then his dad gets him, and his dad's sad. He's mad, and then he writes his name on a bus. The end. This movie fucking stinks. It stinks through and through. This is the short review. It's based upon a book that sucks. It's based upon a, a, a book that is transgressive for its own sense. Um, a lot of people hail it as a masterpiece because of its ability to have an inner monologue and to see the disintegration of the child. And I would agree that that is good. It is a good motif in the book. Is it a masterpiece motif? No, it is a Gillian Flynn level of... Ability to read a person because this is—I would say Jillian Flynn's a better writer than Jersey Kaczynski. Oh, she's a way better writer than Jersey Kaczynski. Multiple levels. However, the one decent part of the book was completely excised from this film because there is no mirror monologue. This kid's mostly silent. You don't even have to watch this film with dialogue on. I didn't for the first hour before I realized I had to turn on closed captioning because it doesn't make any difference. 
Nothing in this movie matters. It is a series of events, short stories that are meant to be somewhat haunting, but none of them are. None of them have emotional impact. It sometimes looks pretty. Good job, Vladimir Smutny. You did a good job with that. You shot it well. Excellent. Um, Julian Sands has a good performance in it to a degree. But he doesn't get to do anything. He doesn't do anything, but you know what? I forgot how much I love Julian Sands, so I'm just going to name drop him. Um, But the rest of this movie... Fucking stinks. Outside of oh, you're frozen. The Stellan Sarsgaard scene, which yeah. I which I enjoyed, but you know, it's it's not it's just Stellan Sarsgaard doing like silent Stellan Sarsgaard acting, which he did just as well in the Pirates of the Caribbean sequels, which also wait for it are better films. I uh, I I a little I'm I balk at the idea that uh, a seventy year old Stellan Sarsgaard is or sixty year old or whatever he is is a common soldier in the German army uh, and is tasked with just doing normal... 69! 69, nice. so close. Nice. We're nice. close. Gotta say nice. Nice. Um, That's for the record, number. Mario, to tie this, to tie our conversation together, a series of unfortunate events was directed by Brad Silberling, who also directed the classics Casper, City of Angels. Casper holds up. Moonlight Mile, Land of the Lost. City of Angels, The Good Wings of Desire. Um... But his best decision in his life was to marry the tremendous Amy Brenneman from Judging Amy and from other stuff who is just... We like Amy Brenneman. Do we? I liked Amy Brenneman, yeah. Um, I didn't like Judging Amy. No, but I liked her. I thought she was good. I thought she was was good. I think stuff she's done. Do you remember that Series of Unfortunate Events is an Oscar winner? Makeup? Yeah. That's fine. So is Norbit. (laughs) So is Norbit. So is Norbit. So is Suicide Squad. Um... Yeah, I don't. Um, I agree with you, with the stinks and all what about the things. The Pirate of the Caribbean comment. I, I actually didn't see past the second one, so I don't that's, know. That's got Stellan Sarsgaard in it. Was it better than this movie? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, You're welcome, Gore. I can't remember his last name. Verbinski. Yeah. Um, I'm st- I'm a little stumped. Mario, I'm a little stumped because I'm not 100% sure how this fucking happened. I think your comment, I think I would like oh, to start with your comment um, about the cinematographer. What's the cinematographer's name again? Vladimir. Smutney. Smutney. Um, he shot a good movie. I think the problem with this movie... That Weasel on Fire scene made me think I was in store for a great film. Which one? The Weasel on Fire scene made me think I was in store for a great film. I mean, I didn't. I thought the motherfucker. You're gonna have to. You have to get a screwdriver and tighten that up. Think so? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to do that one. I'm not going. Um. I'm not going. Not now. Um. The he's shooting scenes that have nothing to do with anything. They have no meaning. No. I, I mean, I, I, so I know, um, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Peter Coulter? Vaclay Marhul has talked about the idea that he didn't want this to be, uh, A, able to be kind of geographically placed in, like, a specific place, so that he developed that inter-Slavic dialect or language that people are speaking. He also didn't want to expressly attach this to World War II, so there's not a lot of reference to like nazis per se even though there are some nazis in it you know what i mean they're more just kind of like soldiers 
Although I think it's odd that he like sticks with the Russian stuff. You know what I mean? So they're 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 Nazis and they're and they're Russians, but he's not specifically tying it to like to to World War Two. It's probably a Korean War movie actually, <laughs> um, because there's no battles. You know what I mean? You don't get a sense of anybody going anywhere to do anything. Um, actually, I think oddly enough, for a movie that is shot wholly outside. Um, and it looks as good. Close to a battle scene, I think. There's... Well, just the the Kalmuks. Yeah. Um, those the the Mongolian people that sided with the with the Germans there towards the end of the war. Um, oh God, I just mixed it up with a scene from Come and See. Yeah. There you I was go. thinking of the um, the tanks on the the road scene. Oh no 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 yeah. Because just... I was like, that's a really well shot scene. I was like, of course it was. It was from a better movie. Um. The the problem with not having all that stuff in there, Mario, is that there's nothing going on. Oh, and I forgot. Let me just finish my thought about the other. There's no movement in this movie. He could have shot this all in one village and then kind of moved just outside the village to the woods to kind of show him in between being with people in a village. This there's no sense of place in this movie. It's just one big village without a city without context. No. Without a, a larger context of what the hell is going on here, this is a movie about a kid who doesn't talk ever or have any emotions or feel anything ever except for one fairly random part where he cries. Just moving on from house to house for largely no reason uh, and kind of witnesses mostly some pretty terrible things and has some terrible things done to him. Again, for no reason. Like, based, I guess, loosely on the idea that he's, like, the other, in the sense that people think he's either a gypsy or a... A gypsy, and I know that's not the, the approved term, but, they, but that's what he says in, in, in the, the, the book. Yeah. Um, Rome- or Romani, Jewish. Is that you say? Rom- Romani? Romani? I think Romani. they say Roman now, but I'm not sure. Right. Um, but Kaczynski says gypsy. Um, or Jew, but they don't ever really... They talk about it a little bit. There's that one early mob scene when there's just like a guy with a pitchfork being like, Jew! And the kid's just like, dead stare. And a circle of people with Great pitchforks. Great podcast material. <laughs> people got it. I'm sure people, have been, they've been waiting for this. They, they all logged on to whatever and they paid six ninety nine to rent it. Um, $8.99. Oh, jeez. Um, there's, there's no reason for any of this to be happening. It's just... Who, I don't want to even say who cares because a kid, it's depicting a kid no, get, getting hurt. You I can, can. I you, can. I you know why? Because Matilda and James and the Giant Peach have more emotional authenticity. Thank you, Mario. Very good. Than this film does. What is what is happening here? Like, Old how Dal do, knows how to fucking ruin a kid. Why is there no score? Why is there none? Nothing that happens in this movie sounds particularly interesting. Is there, there is. Is there a score? No. Just at the end of the, yeah, like, just, just at the, like, end, at the, the very so. end. Why is, why did they excise the parts of the book that they excised, and why did they change the parts of the book that they changed, seemingly for no reason? I mean, Almost I, I to understand, like, I understand killing off Garbos with the rat scene. Like that is a, a change of shortening stuff. Where I'm like, fine, that works. But why change the Garbos thing to being like, oh, I'm a child molester? To being because I, everyone's beating him in this movie, but he's and but the, he does beat him in the book. But why change it from from a really complex? Not to give Jersey Kirsten credit, a really complex idea that like his son is dead 
and to him just hating this boy because he's not his son to what it was like i'm going to i'm going to molest i'm going to rape you and then pretty arbitrarily i'm going to hang you up and then i'm not going to do it anymore and then i'm going to die i don't get it why do they remove it i texted you about this they why did they remove the context for the goat and then they just make her not have sex with a goat and then he's just like wow that made me mad i'm gonna cut a goat's head yeah. off what degree of of sadness do we see in josky that says that says he really wants to please labina nothing well so that's, there's nothing but there. that's the point of what you said before about the inner monologue the inner monologue for however much it fucking stinks in this book like he tries to fit in from a like a the, on a, a most fundamental level with all of these people. So mm-hmm. if it's believing in kind of witchcraft, he believes it. If it's believing in a Christian God, he believes it. If it's believing in a kind of essence of family life, he believes it. If it's believing in communism and that Joseph Stalin is a hero, he believes that. You know what I mean? He believes it until he doesn't have a reason to believe it anymore. And in the inner monologue, you can see him disbelieve and then start to believe something else. All that stuff is gone in this movie. He literally just moves from one place to another place to another place to another place. He's a cipher. He's nothing. And I... Can you even process how this movie is being received? No. I, I don't, I don't I, fucking I don't get, get it. Peter Dubridge is the closest one, but he like was just weird in the fact he's like... I agree. I would have gladly walked out in an hour on this because it sucked. <laughs> like, after the hour, I'm just like, once you get to the lick scenes, you know, I'm like, this is no good. Well, the one I was... But, like, one... I, I don't understand necessarily what he walked out on. Like, because it's, it's, it's obviously scenes of just horrendous torture with no emotional merit. Right. Clearly. But it's not, you know, we're not dealing with Von Tuer, um Levels are we're not are, even are dealing with Salo levels, or, you know, Pasolini levels of but torture. We're, we're not even dealing with white ribbon levels of torture here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like psychological warfare type of things. We're not dealing with anything. So yeah, it's hollow. It's the, all... the review that kind of spoke to me the is most. This guy, is he a comedy director? I don't know. This feels like a comedy director's movie. You know what this feels like? This feels like fucking Joker. Oh yeah, good one, Mario. It's so empty. It's all style and, and no con- and no so like substance. Proud of itself. Yeah, it is very proud of itself. No, they made a lot of choices. His first film was a comedy film. Tobrick, his second film was not. Is he directing? He, he was Joker? a comedy actor. Oh. Yeah, feel this feels this this is has the markings of somebody trying to be something but not being anything no it was pretty i mean it was it was it was pretty bad and i like he, he tried to like he mentioned how he couldn't adapt the book he has an interview i forget um who was with on oh, my phone on me who was with um but he says like i just wanted to capture like the ideas of hope and denigration and all that and just like capture these ideas and he captures nothing no he captures the simplest goddamn emotion in this movie to capture is Jaska's love of that horse and saving that horse. You know, the one thing he could possibly do in this 
horrible dark world has helped this horse with a broken leg. And the second he has a broken leg, you know it's doomed. But, you know, it, it's that last glimmer of hope he has in the book. It is the one part of the book, like, besides that opening scene of talking about the one bird, mm-hmm. like the this player bird that gets killed, which I think is a great two paragraphs of yeah, yeah. literature. Um, but then it just, like, happens over and over again. just loses its merit. But, like, that's the one part where you're like, okay, like, there's real deep emotional connection. And to then, turn, like, train it and change it into, I'm going to save you, horsey. Oh, no, the horse is going to get killed. Let me grab it. Oh, the horse is dead. Moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I'm not even 100% sure how that, that, that part of the movie resolves itself. It's really kind of... And it's like oddly, he just gets the, the he just gets given up to the Germans. No, but they kind of the the because no one speaks, and you have no context oh, for yeah. anything. Just the looks on people's faces in regards to the choices that they're making regarding this kid. It's like well, I don't even understand why you people, as depicted in this movie, are even interested in this kid. Why do they even keep the the train scene for the concentration camp people? Like they take out every single piece. Of, um, like, story collection from the book. Right. And just, it becomes this, like, weird diversion where he's going to get some new pair of shoes from the people getting shot. And, and to get that shot of the, the, the mother with the baby. You know, right. just to be, like, shocking. But none of that, like, all of that kind of melds into the book of everyone's off. Well, I mean, the, 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 I think the thing that, that of that section of the movie that kind of um, didn't work for me, I mean, nothing worked for me, but, like, you know, so people are kind of taking stuff off of the bodies that got shot by the train. There's a bunch of naked bodies. There's only a couple people taking stuff. Or even if there are, I don't even know how, if there's more than him Tom, taking we, stuff. Tom, you didn't know this. When you die, your, your clothes disappear. But they all jumped off a train. And they we saw them all jump off trains and they all had clothes on. No, so when why you do die, they... your clothes disappear. You didn't know this? I didn't. I'm you've s- never seen a, you never seen a person die. No. Just the clothes just... Maybe it's if you get shot from that's a moving train. That's why train. you have sex naked, Tom. It's all art. It's all about art. Mm. You have sex naked because it represents the delicate balance between birth and death. Maybe that's what's going on here, and we missed it, Mario. Maybe he's he's a he's a he's a rascalian genius. But I remember so the the review that kind of speaks to me the most is the Kyle Smith review from he's the other film reviewer from the New Republic. Um, who's the who's or the, the National Republic? Review? Oh. Where where Armand White? <laughs> I, I know the other one is. It, um, that good old drone. He creating, calls it. Um, yeah. Speaking of, did you just to do a quick diversion? I, no, yeah. I'll get to it later. No. What? Do you know the drone's supposed to be calcium? The drone. The the bug that he that gets oh, hit by the car. No, Apparently I didn't know it's that. Supposed to, like the the intuition, the the inclination is that that's calcium. Huh. Interesting. If it is. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to group. Yeah, kind of read at some point. After I finish, like yeah. in a year, I'll give it a. Read yeah, I was gonna say after I finish my degree, I think the first book I'm gonna read again is Ankind. Yeah. Um, because I just want to give it time. He calls it. Um, and we like getting listens. Yeah. He he calls it. We'll do a whole other episode. <laughs> second reading of Ankind. He calls it torture porn for highbrows, which I think is right. Mm-hmm. But he also at the end of the movie he calls it banal, which it totally is. And at the end of the review, he kind of questions all the people that want to call it a masterpiece. And I kept getting back to kept being brought back to um the the Owen Gleiberman interview with Bredis and Ellis where he kind of criticized the groupthink that was happening in, in in criticism cultural criticism at large but film criticism specifically and he was talking about 
uh, Moonlight. He's like, well, you can't criticize Moonlight. He's like, I actually thought Moonlight was pretty good. He's like, except for the last act, I didn't really like it. He's like, but I couldn't write about the fact that I didn't really like the last thing because the group thing kind of makes you, kind of puts people into their place when they've kind of moved outside of what the, 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 the larger critical community is thinking of a thing. I don't understand what any of the reviewers who like this movie is fucking talking about. No, I don't either. This is an all Hazard Balthazar thing for me. This movie fucking stinks. Which is an exceptionally better film than this. Yeah. And I at least here's the thing about All Hazard Balthazar. It at least has a historical context that when I think about it, I can say I can say I don't like it. But I'm not equipped to say that it's bad because I, there's a whole his, there's 50 years of film history that says like and people that it's influenced that says that it's good. This movie I can also is, say it has movement and emotion, and that donkey actually has some sort of, even though it's like a sign of innocence, the people around that fucking donkey at least grow in some possible, like some slight way. There is character development. There is actual structure beyond whatever the fuck this is. Well, so I'll go to the, I'll go to one of the this scenes is, that this I... Sitting, this is my sitting uh, for this review. I, I'll go to one of the scenes that I had a really big problem with in relation to the book is the crow scene. So in the movie, the crow scene is played for horror. It's played for abuse. In the book, he is uh, fed when he's in the hole. He is put in the hole, not because he's... I mean, she does think he's a demon. I don't necessarily think... Or he's infected by demons. Um, Get the sickness out. But he's put in the hole to get the sickness out. He's got a fever. So to, to, to... to, and a bunch of people are dying. Right. To cure him of his fever, she sticks him in this hole where his and where it says in the book, like, oh, my body cooled, felt cool instantly because of the thing. And then the crows peck at him, and then she drives the crows away, and it's out of, like, a goodness in her. It's not like... The movie plays it like he's being tortured, but at no point is he... In the book, is it played for he's being tortured. It's that nature is torturing him it's, and that's why it's so early in the book. It's like, these things are torturing him for no reason. And then there's this one person who's kind of going to shoo the birds away because she has, like, some value to her. She she cares something about him enough to kind of cure him of his sickness. If you remember, she lights, they talk a lot about the fact that she lights the fires around to kind of, to, um, around him and stuff like that. And, and, and you know, it's it's a different context and he, he strips it of its meaning for the cheap, the cheap horror visual, you know what I mean? Yeah. And which is you know, the bird? The birds do peck at his head when he's in the in the, when in the book, but it's different. And he's kind of bastardized, like already a pretty cheap text, and just put the cheapest things he could put in there. Like the Kalmuk scene is the other scene too, where there's all this context about like it's like five or six pages long about this really. This quickly escalating but long scene where these uh, Kalmuks ride into this village and just rape all the women and, like, you know, slaughter the men and all this other stuff. There's no context for that in the movie. These people just show up and then all of a sudden a guy is naked riding a horse with a woman, like, having sex with a woman, which is in the book. But that is the, that is the, the last scene of a, <clears throat> a fairly long buildup. You know what I mean? Like, that's the most depraved thing. Here, it's just kind of like, oh, and look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, there's a baby. I'm going to show this baby twice. Do you see this baby? 
I'm gonna show it. I'm gonna show it two times. Oh, and now they're hanging up by their by their ankles, and they're all bloody. Yeah, it's 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 shocking. Like I don't like he, he mentioned in that same article. I just can't remember. Well, maybe quoted on, on Twitter and, and posted on Twitter um, about how he says like you know nobody ever got the rights to this because like a lot of it's considered like unfilmable. And like this is a no. This, you could fucking make this easily filmable into a into a movie. Yeah. Like, and most directors I think could handle it with some some whatever brett ratner before he got me too'd could have deservingly so could have like um made a, a garbage movie but at least would have done something with it um, that's a joke i'm not gonna say brett ratner uh, somebody of of a mediocre level yeah you know i know what you mean um a reuben fleischer or something like that could have made a brad silberling <laughs> yeah he should have well, um but but this this movie is it 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 it, it, it strips everything away and just becomes about depravity you know it just become and a lot of times that depravity becomes comical when he trips over and and drops the bible and then gets thrown into the shithole it's almost it's so emptily depraved that it's almost funny because it's so ridiculous and it's so out of context why does he why does he trip and drop the bible in the movie it's because he does in the book it's because he's been hanging up for hours and hours and hours every day for weeks. And he doesn't have the strength in his body anymore to pick up anything. That's why he falls. And when they throw him in the fucking shit pile, in the, in the shit pit, he has an inner monologue about how this is a, the worst thing that's ever happened to him, essentially. And I am paraphrasing hard on that one. But as it's happening, he's you can sense and you can read and subsequently feel the idea that if he gets thrown in this shit pile he's fucking done he's done and so you don't know how he's going to be done so i thought the him losing his voice is an interesting choice in that regard but in the movie it's just like he dropped the bible throw him in shit and so, but why and they crawls out of shit and remove on yeah it's so weird and i think this is why my favorite part of the movie is when uh, Alexei Kravchenko shows up as Gravila in the Russian part. Because all of a sudden, Mario, we are given some kind of... We're given some kind of subtext in the movie. In a movie that is subtextless, we're given subtext. What is the subtext? The subtext is the fact that here is a guy who, you know, 30 years ago starred in a movie as a kid where he gets ruined in World War II. And he's looking at a kid who's starring in a movie in which he gets ruined during World War II. That shit was fucking heavy. Unfortunately for him, he was playing off of Peter Kotar, Kotlar, who fucking stinks. He's not given anything anything to do. do. I can't can't say he stinks. But again, all these people are writing reviews about how the fact that, like, oh, his stoic... His courageous, stoic performance carries this movie. Yeah, I'm blah, not going to say he's bad, though. I'm going to say, like, I, I'm, let's say this is a misgiving. No, but let's of, say of, he's, I mean, look at Hayden Christensen in the prequels compared to, like, oh, Hayden yeah. Christian, like, Ice Storm. No, but let's how about, and, um, how about this? Shattered Glass. Let's say he's bad in the context in which this movie is presented. This movie needs him to do something, yeah. and he doesn't do anything. Again, I have no idea what they asked him to do. 
but there's big chunks of this movie where he's the central figure where I don't even remember that he's there. And that's the thing that this movie lacks is that, you know, in the in the Udo Queer, Keir Miller scene, when he's plucking out a guy's eyeballs, in the book, he's still the central figure of that scene. You know, Joska, and his name isn't Joska in the book, I don't think, right? Is it? Yeah, I thought I don't it was remember. Balam or something like something. that. Something, I don't know. In the book, he's still the central figure in all of these scenes, even if it's not happening to him. You know, the scene you described with the, the Jewish girl, he's still the central figure. And I think it's one of the failings of the book, but it's one of the ways that the book works and, and can develop emotions. There's parts and of this create, movie where... And create a certain amount of like an unreliable narrator, so you don't know how much of this is actually truly right. happening. He's, there's, to, a, to the degree that he says it happens. There's portions of this movie where he just doesn't matter. Yeah, he disappears from the train scene. Like, he's not a part of that train scene until he is. But, like, for ten minutes, he's not there. Right. And I, I and, and I, in the book, he's always... It's always told from him describing what they do. Like, he's he always has a... I mean, it's told from the first person. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's he's always presenting the idea there. But, like, he doesn't matter. He Joska doesn't matter in this movie. He's just a, a vehicle... He's the narrator of a series of shitty things that happen. But that... into I think... It's weird to have him do the come and see obvious kind of thing, jamming it in there when there's like a million other come and see things in there also. Like, you know, the German plane kind of flying overhead and him just being like, you know what I mean? Because I don't, you know, there doesn't need to be a plane flying overhead to do anything because it doesn't do anything. It's just flying. And he's just like, oh, yeah, there's a plane. Did you you see that? And then was like, oh. Can we just finish this? <laughs> I go home. It'd be great if Lesky, like there would be a where Lesky Kanko just like was like, you know, this movie's bad, right? You know, this movie sucks. I wish Kilmov came back and actually shot a real bullet into my head, so that I wouldn't have to be a part of this fucking movie anymore. Did you Did you notice in the scene like right after he meets him, right after Jessica meets Gravilla, when they're in that tent together? That's when we first see Barry Pepper, who I like. Until, like, it's clear he's not going to say anything. And then I'm just like, oh, the things he said better must better be great. And then it's just like an eye for an eye. And then he's like, he said something else for him later. And he's like, remember that. Yeah, it's stupid. Um, why is... He doesn't really age. Good job, Barry Pepper. I know. he, But that's the thing. He added, he added a kind of layer of something mm-hmm. for a while. But then... Much Alex, like Julian Sands, the warlock. Yeah. Well, but I, I, I agreed with... I thought so, too. I was like, Udo Kier in this movie makes sense. I think he'll do anything where he gets to pluck a guy's eyes out. Um, <laughs> no, I think you should just say he'll do anything. anything. But when Alexei Kravchenko and Barry Pepper are sitting on, like, their beds together, and they're like... Then they just s- synchronous... Uh, synchronously? Serendipitously? No, and they both look at each, like oh. look at him. They like synchronicity. No, it's not. Is it synchronicity? In synchronicity. In synchronicity. Is that what it is? Yeah. So they're like. Or I could just say in sync. They look at. They sit down together. They look at each other. They turn to him. And they kind of both make the same like kind of face, and they turn back to each other, and then they turn to him again like both at the same time. I was like, is this a joke? Like, what's supposed to be yeah. happening here? You know what? Actually, what's interesting about that scene is I would want to see a movie with Barry Pepper and and Alexei Kravchenko. They, like they feed, they feed off each other well. Yeah, I would as, watch that as, movie. as a Russian. I mean, if Russian it's not soldiers. directed by, you know, if if hey, Tommy V, 
Vinterberg, our buddy. You're going to make your war movie? Barry Pepper, Trepkinko, Leeds. You got to get some Mads Mikkelsen in there. I know you have oh, tight. Yeah. Why is Mads Mikkelsen not in this movie? <laughs> he would not do this movie. Mads Mikkelsen would not do this film. This is, seems like the total kind of movie he would just show up in for one yeah, second. if it was good. <laughs> All right, so... Um, He's too busy smoking cigarettes <laughs> and waiting for Hannibal season four. What would Charlie Kaufman do with this movie, though, Mario? Well, mm-hmm. there would be definitely that scene where he ranks the most important scenes in it. <laughs> you know, he gives all the rankings, and the number one scene would be Judd Apatow's This is 40. Yeah. Oh, man, I love Ant Kind. I love it so much. I don't understand what's happening at all, but I think it's great. Yeah, there's, there's I, like, I didn't know calcium is supposed to be that bug. I, I don't know. know. There's, there's a lot of stuff that calcium's supposed to be doing throughout that book that I didn't realize. He might not even realize that that was the case either. Then. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> Charlie Kaufman might not remember writing Ankind. Um, but here we are, Mario, and it's funny because I had I had kind of penciled in Painted Bird as a spot for a lot of things on my end of year list. Well, we, it is it does have a, a solid spot in my end of year list now. Me, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, I don't I don't understand how this movie is either is perceived so incorrectly and was made so wrong. Did it's, you like my in the shadow of the moon joke? By the way, I did. I kind of liked watching that. Jim Mickle, you made a better movie. Jim I mean, Mickle I mean, would you... have made a better painted bird. Here's the thing. His movie travels through various places, too. And at least characters are changing. He would have made a better painted bird. He... But Jim Mickle's actually has done other better movies. The but... Shadow of the Moon isn't a better movie, but I liked watching it more. And not yeah. because this is so hard to watch because it's so torturous. Well, it is hard to watch. I mean, it is both hard to watch and torturous but it's like but not in like a from a filmmaking perspective right outside of cinematography but right. from a stuff that's happening i've watched house that jack built multiple times yeah i've seen breaking the waves multiple times salo multiple times those are movies that are hard to watch sweet movie yeah we should do a sweet movie thing have you ever seen sweet movie that's a tough one that's no. fucking tough is it, is it sweet I think it's not that sweet. Well, there's people that roll around naked in sugar, but then there's other people yeah, after ants? that to no. The, there's people that I don't want to see any ants in the push movie. on people's stomachs until they shit themselves. Oh, I don't want to see that. Well, it's a sweet movie. Like really shit themselves? There's people that that you think get, are they actually shitting themselves? I, I, they might be. It's one of those movies. Yeah. No, I can't even. It's a Criterion. I can't even watch certain types of adult films that have certain types of acts in them because I find those unappealing to watch so I could, probably could not do it. Yeah. I This is different. <laughs> <laughs> hey! So... A. Will Ferreira directed a porn movie, okay, man? Well, sure. I can't... I, oh, I, I, we, have see, we have to see Tommaso. I'll see it. All right. Well... Yeah, I, I expected this to take a lot. I expect this to take a couple things. I don't even think... The shitty thing is the one thing place it could have on my list would have been cinematography, but this movie's so bad that I, I don't feel... Well, it doesn't... I'm not going to put it there. It doesn't align with your rules about cinematography, where the cinematography has to add something yeah, to the movie, and it, it doesn't do anything. Pretty, yeah. yeah. I mean, so to kind of round out this thing, I was surprised how much I hated this movie, and I was surprised how much I really, like, loved Come and See. Like, I thought I, I was going to struggle with Come and See and think it was good. Right, I, I struggled with Come and See in a much different way. In terms of its violence, it's nothing. 
It's not that bad of a film. I mean, the worst part is is the rape. It's just clearly, it's but psychically, it's, it's, it's psychically destructive, right? And it's and uh, in that, but not way, manipulative. Like, no, so honest with it. It's not. It's an amazing movie. Yeah. Um, On Criterion still. Yeah, um, definitely. Along with, if you look up "Come and See," you get directed to a lot of other really good. World War II movies. So Night and like Fog, Fog. Which is also like, um, important to see. Diamonds at Night. Did you watch Diamonds at Night? No, it's the Jan Nemec movie. It's Czechoslovakian. I, th- I think he's Czechoslovakian. Also very good. It's like 63 minutes. It's two kids escape from a train, you know, carting them to a concentration camp. It's uh, a little, it's way more surreal than Come and See. Um, but it's, it's a very good film and does everything better than The Painted Bird. I would advise everybody one. against. Let me take, take a bit of a, a bit of a, a breast from. I've I've read four. I've read two straight war things, um, and surprisingly, this was the better war book. And this is not that good of a book. Cherry, which is <laughs> Cherry by by Nico Walker, which is getting made into a movie. Who's in it? Um, it is going to be Tom Holland, who's going to play Nico Walker, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best part. You ready? You ready for this? I'm ready, yeah. And the reason I'm saying you ready for this because I'm typing it in. Are you ready for this? Do you do you want to take a guess of who's good? So Cherry is just this, this story. It's written by Nico Walker, who's just a, a young man who goes into the Iraq War, experiences the Iraq War shit, um, comes back, gets addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. It's him and his girlfriend start robbing banks because of heroin. Um, who, who do we think is going to buy that? Who, who do we think is going to want to direct that movie? Who, who do we think is the, the, the true visionary? Is it attached to a studio? Uh, it is being done by... Um, it is attached to a studio, but I can't say because the studio is owned by the director. Is it a Steven Spielberg movie? Anthony and Joe Russell film. Oh, oh, oh. film. oh yeah, wait, who's oh Tom oh no, they were also making a they're making a Chris Evans Ryan Gosling movie yeah, too. Yeah, they're making Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, a space movie, right? I don't know. Who fucking cares? Everything No, it's not that. Doesn't matter. But yeah. Um Yeah, it's supposed to it's in post it was in post production. It's coming it's supposed to come out it's supposed to come out this year. But uh I don't think it is. Um, oh no, it, it might. Netflix is, is distributing it apparently. Oh, they'll put out. Distributing it. They'll put out anything. Yeah, <laughs> Netflix is going to be the one place to see movies pretty soon. Listen, I'm 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 fine with it. Again, let's, let's finish with that. Let's finish with the big uh, Universal. Um, Cine, AMC. AMC AMC talk. What are, what are your feelings on this? Uh, Cineworld came out and said, "Oh, nonsense." The new the new saying is after three weekends. Um, Nonsense, why? Because they're saying it will lead to the destruction of theaters, which... Fine, fine. okay, who cares? But the story is, after three weeks, uh, three weekends, a film can be released on premium video on demand. Without, yeah, without kind of voiding the weirdo contract that theaters have with movie distributors. Fuck it. I mean, actually, I'm going to say this right now. I don't necessarily like it. Because it just means that a bunch of people who depend upon minimum wage income are going yep. to lose their jobs. Yes, 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 yes. And all the people who are executives and stockholders are going to well, just be fine and dandy because AMC will transition into a video delivery service of some sort, or you know, or they'll just get bought by Disney. Yeah, exactly. Um, I hate that part. But 
from a structural going to the movie standpoint, like ignoring the actual deep socioeconomic aspects of it, which, you know, are impossible to ignore. But yeah. I'm talking from a fantastical level where I really just focus on the film aspect uh-huh. of it. I don't fucking care. Whatever. I'm, I don't need to go to a movie. I, I like watching a movie and being able... To, I've talked about this before. Look, being able to look out my window sometimes. I watch... I listen to the big picture on, on The Ringer uh, every week. Twice if they have two episodes. And I just... I kind of like just people talking about movies. They also don't... Even though they're like um, super full of themselves and I don't really agree with their positions on lots of things and they seem like they're uh, sellouts and the and, and the fact that they seem to like... They like all the stuff that... Um, conveniently they're going to have guests from that movie on on various podcasts on the network mm-hmm. you know what i mean so they just they just love the last king of scotland for no good reason or last king of staten uh, king of staten island i was like i was like what last, I last, last king of staten island last the edie amin <laughs> pete davidson movie which once again pete guys, davidson as edie amin do it do it fucking judd apatow forrest whitaker uh, yeah and kind too Charlie Kaufman writes the screenplay. Yep. There you go. I guarantee you Charlie Kaufman would write that screenplay. Yep. You get Judd Apatow and um, who directed Last King of Scotland? Oh, I don't even know. Um, but you get, you get, so you get, you get Judd Apatow. You get a good script from Charlie Kaufman. Uh, why didn't you put director right in the front? Uh, Kevin McDonald. What do you do, Kevin McDonald? I don't remember him. State of play. You know what? Sorry, Kevin McDonald. Oh, you're doing documentaries now. You stay there. Judd Apatow directs. We get Pete Davidson. We get Forrest Whitaker. We get ourselves some oh, James McAvoy. No, you get Pete Davidson, you get Forrest Whitaker. It's trading places. Yeah, but check this out. Yeah. Now you get James McAvoy yep. after the deal with Pete Davidson refusing to grow up. James Mac- and Bill Burr trying to stop Edie yep. Min from cutting up people. Here we go. James McAvoy. Let me say this once again. Disclaimer. From the purview of a film. Not dealing with the actual social horrific aspects of Edie Min. Min being a gigantic right. piece of shit. James McAvoy, though, has a business where he's helping people fart. Isn't that the scene that sticks with you the most? Yes. It's the, it's the chest hanging scene and the fart scene. I, well, no, and the I'm Carrie, actually the Carrie Washington being, you know, chopped up and rearranged. You know? I don't remember that. Really? Yep. Where he shows her, like, and her legs are in her arms and her arms are in her legs? I don't remember that. Oh, that, that's the farting scene? And I remember the, the fart and then, and then the hanging from the hooks Uh-oh. in the airport. Um, I, I I would watch that movie though. So uh, at Netflix, no, I, I would pay. Would, I would. I would fucking pay twenty bucks to watch that. Out. I'd pay twenty bucks. I I would. I would suggest that both of us individually spend twenty dollars to watch that movie. Yeah, and that, not just share. That's the one. We'll share everything else. That one we'll make sure we spend money on. We want to make sure they know we're appreciative of the effort. Um, I so I listen to that that a lot. They talk literally endlessly, Mario, about the idea that like. Movies are meant to be watched on a big screen. I hate watching movies on my television. Movies, blah, 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 blah. Big screen, big screen, big screen. Fuck that. I am so happy to have the movies that like we can get on our screens, either through virtual screenings or that are on Hulu or that are on Netflix, that are just at my house. Yeah. That I don't have to like – I don't have to – plan a day around that's what I hate I hate have to like if a movie theater is like when I go there it's gonna play the movie at the time I go in there 
fine. But the fact that I have to wait for a showing, like I, I at three o'clock, I'll be like, I want to go see a movie, and I'll look at the showings, and the next showing for any movie is at four twenty, and I'm like, well, fuck this, I'm not going to see a movie now. Yeah, well, I, especially when you can just kind of like bring it up in your house and get like, I don't know, I maybe. I'm a weirdo, and I feel like I'm kind of like this with spoilers, too, because I'm always telling people, like, you could just tell me. I don't care. If the thing is really good, I'm not going to care if I know what the ending is. So just tell me what you want to tell me about the movie, and I'll if I'm interested in it, I'll watch it regardless. Yeah. I feel, I can get in. You mean, like, the thing being a movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, not, like, you weren't actually talking about John Carpenter. The thing. No, but no, I okay. like the thing. <laughs> but if you told me what happened to the thing, I would still watch it and like it. Um... I I don't I did a good I felt like come and see did its job yeah but there like I mean yeah sure that that laser shot scenes you know the, the, the tracer bullet scenes look probably excellent on a large screen and you know Blade Runner twenty forty nine looks excellent on a big screen but it's gonna still have that same sense of awe on on a on a bigger on a television screen uh, and I'm gonna say this guys the guys that's what I'm gonna call <laughs> our fans the guys guys and gals. Um, I watched Renard's, Renard's uh, Rules of the Game on my fucking cell phone. And you know what? It still hits everything. I, watched, I watch movies on my fucking cell phone. I watched and you half know of Monos at a laundromat, and it's, it fucking worked. It works, because a good movie, no matter the screen size, as long as the screen's like, I'm going to give, let's say, seven inches, and he gets to the point where you can't see fine detail, sure. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to watch a movie on my fucking iPhone. I, I watch. I don't have one of those, but I don't know what they're called. The, I, the phone that goes on your, the, the, the hand, the, yeah. the watch phones. I'm not going to watch a movie on that. Probably too little. The iHand watch phone. No, I'm not going to either. I, I won't be able to enjoy Paddington 2 in such small details. But, like, but I, uh, this phone, I turned it sideways, and I sat in a laundromat with a, an earphone in, and I watched Monos. Only and, one. And it fucking kicked, because I, I needed to hear. Well, you didn't get the surround sound effect. Well, I, I went back like, and watched like some of it on my TV. Okay, but we needed to do it for that week for the show. But it fucking worked. It kicked my ass on my I, phone. My, I do have to watch movies with headphones in uh, if I'm going to watch it on my phone. If I'm watching it on my computer on in my house, I put my headphones on. I put these bad boys on. But if I'm like out and about and I'm just I need to do the work for the week, then I'll just kind of like stick an ear in. You know, and actually, I'll say this too. I watch films like through my Xbox. And I will plug my controller, my headphones into my controller, so I get surround sound right to these babies. And there it's probably go. fucking just, it's probably, because you don't get the ambient noise of the crowds in the theaters, <laughs> it, is the, it is the movie experience as it's meant to be, right All to the these way, ear yeah. holes. Uh, the Five Bloods worked just as well on my TV as I imagine it would have worked in person. Uh, uh, Delroy Lindo talking to me in my fucking house, in my face, I fucking love it. Yeah. I, I no complaints. I did, can't even really imagine what the experience would be of him being like eighteen feet high and like shouting at me at the back row. It feels like artificial at that. Not artificial, but it has like a certain. It has. It, it ends up lacking the intimacy. That, oh, like no, I like know. it. Yeah. Well, it's the thing. I think a lot of people think that the movie go- theater going experience is that about, might not like, be. A, I would say that might not be a. Phone. That probably isn't a phone movie though. No, no, I would never watch that on my phone. Yeah, but there's definitely. I will. Put, I will draw the line. There's some. You can't watch Blade Runner on your phone. What was the last movie you saw in a packed theater? Oh, uh, well, I mean, Avengers. I mean, Avengers Endgame. No, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. 
Oh, people! It was a packed theater. Yeah, because it was a special like Yale showing. Oh, okay. With like talks. After. So the last movie I saw, I suppose Endgame. I don't know if we count Endgame. There's a lot of people at our our um, showing of A Star Is Born. The last like independent. That was, that was before Endgame. No, no, I'm saying, oh. but like I'm just talking about like the last like independent film that I saw that like had like a packed theater was House at Jackville. That was packed. That's the most packed theater. Packed theater. theater. Uh, I think that was, was that more packed than. Avengers? I think so. There were empty seats at Avengers. I didn't see any empty seats at House of Jack Bill. Yeah. Um, that was an uncomfortable viewing experience. It was but, fun, though. It worked, it worked for it. But it also, it worked for it, but it was also, I've seen it a couple of times now in my house, and I like it in my house. Although it's the R, and you watch it through Hulu? No. Oh, so you have the unrated cut? I watched it when it came out. I rented it when it came out unrated, yeah. Okay. Because I just wanted to see. Yeah, that already cuts a little different. We, we both wanted to go back to those those last, like, 15 minutes and yeah. just kind of, like, hang out there for a little bit. But in doing so, like, I confirmed a lot of the terrible things that I thought I saw, you know, when I first watched it. But they work. They just work on... they. It doesn't... If you don't stop yourself from having, like, enjoying these things, then you will enjoy them. And you should fucking get over it because guess what? Now that that deal is made, everyone else is going to do the same exact thing. And the Oscars are going to adjust. Netflix isn't even going to bother showing this shit in theaters. They're just going to show it on their TVs. Like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. So, like, you know, you can go see Mulan in theaters. You can go see James Bond and Top Gun. Anything, like you said, that they isn't a guarantee to gross $100 million is probably not. It's probably coming out streaming at the say or 17 days or whatever it is. After it comes out in theaters. And I'm good with that. Yeah. Do it. It's a great way to see, like, if a movie's fucking failing in theaters, you just drop that shit in. I mean, really, like, it's going to become a deal soon enough where if movies bomb and AMC wants to dump them, they'll be like, yeah, put that in PVOD now. Yeah. Like, where it has to have that two-week guarantee. At the end of the two weeks, they're like, yeah, just dump it. They won't be like, we'll have to wait three weeks. They'll be like, no, no, you can dump this today. Mm Mm-hmm. You know. And they will, because who cares? Yeah, you don't need chips to be hanging out waiting for its release. Well, just remember, I mean, you were, you obviously well, remember chips. the year. <laughs> you remember the year to wait between, like, theater and DVD? You yeah, just were just kind of like, oh, months, when, does, yeah. when is this going to come out? Like, I, I, I remember, can't wait till this comes out. I need to get my VHS copy of Scream 2. Yeah. But it's gone now and i'm okay with it yeah i don't feel like i've lost very much i think first cow the video store the loss of video stores is going to mean more to me than the loss of movie theaters yeah did you see where nick my wife was reading oh, one thing the, I, thing about tommy k is the original tommy k's is now being turned into is finally closing is being turned into like three liquor stores or something was it really huh. or it's closed I already it like tanning. i thought it got turned into like tanning right stores. it's like yeah. i don't know but so the best video, keep hanging on. You won't book me for shows, but keep hanging on. <laughs> hey, that, that's a good sign, right? It means like they got, they got yeah. a lot of people wanting to be do shows. For I don't want to be responsible for that, the reason why they closed. So maybe they were right. Well, how do you beat perfection? That's true. I don't know how to answer that. Uh, you can try to answer that and fail at Film Pivotal. Or you can uh, send us an email at pivotalfilmpodcast@gmail.com, or you can go to pivotalfilm.com. Or which... you could ask us a question on Pivotal Film Twitter, and somebody will, won't answer it. <sighs> Sorry, <laughs> it's, it's a busy guy. Guy who, who responded to our Ant Kind thing. 
It was a busy I, three I weeks. deferred it to Tom. When I opened up my email, like <laughs> when I opened up my email looking for actual emails besides anything related to my my residency, I had like 250 emails. But like just new things that I had to sift through and, you know, a couple of people like trying to have a conversation with me. I was just like, "No, I've been doing residency things for 3 weeks here, so not about it. Not about that. I know. No, 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 no. Like just like in my life. life. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um but yeah, I'll I'll respond to that. I respond guy. to the one guy. I actually, while I was in my residency, the website domain lapsed. Yeah, so I like tried to go onto the website. I was like, oh, it lapsed. I'm like, am I supposed to renew this? No, no, it was just I was me. Like, oh. I just didn't have... I, I was like, I'll give it a day. And then it like, got renewed. And I was like, oh, okay. No, in my mind, I was like... I actually had, wrote it on a thing. I was like, renew website domain. Our most popular episode happens. And then we just just close up shop. I know, I got to update like, that. Fuck you, rest of lists. The residency like consumed my Speaking life. Speaking of, next week will be a hard week. Where I get to do my double movie on my list. But those are... That's actual hards, though. Those that's, are good movies. Oh, yeah. And they're not this week's movies. They're not super fun. One of them's good time. I mean, they, they, they're not for me. <laughs> they're great movies, but they're not a fun time for me. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so... If you want to talk about not a fun time, Tom, you could do that. You can go to pivotalfilm.com and you could uh, you could message us there if you want. No one's ever done that. Uh, or you can see a list of the movies... On our pivotal film list, or the list of the beers we drank. I don't know what we're going to drink next week. That'll be good. Um, maybe I'll bring my, my new favorite, and you can just suffer through it. What's that? The, the, the Kent Falls. Oh, beer I, don't that I've been drinking. I don't hate it, but... Um, yeah, bring that. Yeah, I'll bring it, because I love it. And I'll switch over to my cocktail. Yeah, you'll have one, and then you'll do one and a half, one and a half movies on this one beer, and then you'll have your cocktail waiting for you. Um, well, that's saying a lot about how much I'm going to be... You get those beers down quickly, Tom. I'm not. I'm assuming you're not going to drink two. No, probably, I won't drink two. There you go. See, there you go. I'm not. I might drink. I might drink multiple cocktails. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but yeah, go see a movie, folks. Drink a beer or cocktail. Maybe we'll transition a little bit into the. No, we can't. We're a hundred films under beers. Hundred. Okay. Hundred two guys. <laughs> hundred two guys, and we will uh, talk to you next week. <laughs>